If you're traveling this week or if you're here in town uh, from other cities, welcome. Hope you have a good holiday week. Um, but I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, we're going to look at verses 17 through 25. We've been in our We Believe series, looking at the Apostles' Creed. And today we are finishing up the Apostles' Creed as we look at the last uh, statements, which is, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And we're going to look at a beautiful vision that God gives to Isaiah for him to share with us. And so I'm going to look at verses 17 through 25 here. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles for you underneath the chair in front of you. And there you could turn to page 624, 624. As we finish this up next week, we're actually going to begin our Advent sermon series. And we're going to be in the book of Isaiah and sort of the similar context. And the idea is Advent for the brokenhearted, which will culminate on Christmas Sunday or Christmas actually lands on a Sunday this year. And so we'll be together on Christmas morning. Uh, being able to wish everyone a Merry Christmas, but also look into God's Word and worshiping together. So let's follow along with me, starting verse 17, and then we'll end at verse 25. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit, nor shall they not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord, and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall gaze, graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Lord, we come before you and we ask that you would, you would give us a great vision for what is to come. We know that in the midst of a broken world, even as we heard our elder Leo share, that even in a season like this, uh, we're we ought to feel like celebrating. The reality is there is hardship and darkness and sadness. So Lord, I pray that wherever we are at this morning, Lord, give us hope in this vision that you have given to us. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an old town, uh, tale from the Talmud from Babylon that sort of resurged recently in a book that came out that I was reading. And the tale from the Talmud goes like this. There's a merchant in Baghdad who one day sent his servant to the market. Before very long, the servant came back, white and trembling and in great agitation, said to his master, 
Down in the marketplace, I was jostled by women in the crowd. And when I turned around, I saw it was death. It was death that jostled me. She looked at me and made a threatening gesture. Master, please lend me your horse, for I must hasten away to avoid her. I will ride to Samara, and there I will hide, and death will not find me. So the merchant, he lent the servant his horse, and the servant galloped away in great haste. Well, later the merchant went back to the marketplace and saw death standing in the crowd. So the merchant went over to her and asked, Why did you frighten my servant this morning? Why did you make such a threatening gesture? And death said, That was not a threatening gesture. It was only a start of a surprise. I was astonished to see him in Baghdad, for I have an appointment with him tonight in Samara. Now, why I share this story is because the realities of our lives is that death is inescapable, right? Death is inescapable. I have been to more funerals than I have to weddings in my 40s. And I'm not just talking about death of a loved one or death of a life. I'm also talking about death in so many ways that we experience it. Death of innocence. Death of relationships that are broken and shattered. But death also of dreams and hopes that many of us carry with us, especially even as we think about our children, the the hopes and dreams that you might have and the realities that life will bring you in the future. Death is all around us. And we recognize that death is all around us because of sin that entered way back in Genesis 3. Sin that came into our world and fractured everything. Death of life. Death of our relationship with God. Death where murder happens between Abel and Cain, between two brothers. And we see that death is an impact of the sin or the, the, the consequences of sin that came into our world because of the choosing to go against and rebelling against God. Well, I don't think it was that much different for these Israelites where God gives them this beautiful, beautiful vision of the new heavens and the new earth. Because for the people of God, as Isaiah writes this, they are to an exiled community. They have been in Babylon and now are returning home to their homeland. And what they experience is not life, but it's death. They come back to their homeland and they see their homes in ruin. They go to the marketplaces and it's absolutely destroyed. Their land where they made their money and the economy was sustained is all no longer. Death was smelled, tasted, and seen for the people of God. And it's in that context that Isaiah, at the end of his book, gives us this beautiful vision of what is to come for God's people. That in the midst of death, there's this beautiful grand vision of the new heavens and the new earth. The heavens coming down to earth. It's a perfected world. It's a material world. It's a renewed world. And Jesus is going to bring it. He is remaking it again for his people. And there's nothing more glorious that we need to set our minds on when what we smell and taste and see and touch of death is all around us. 
We need this vision, this glorious vision of the new heavens and the new earth here on, on earth as it is in heaven. Now what I want to do this morning as we read this vision is look at what is the new heavens and the new earth. What is it marked by? What does it look like? What is this vision? And then finish with what maybe is a more important question for us is, well, what does that mean for you and for me? What does this vision actually require of me now and how does this actually impact my life? So first, let's just walk through this vision together starting in verse 18. But the first thing we see God give to his people is one of joy, but joy forever, forever. Much of our life as we experience happiness and contentment and joy is very fleeting, isn't it? But here what we're reminded is that we will experience gladness and rejoicing forever. I was reminded this week watching a reel on my social media. Yes, your pastor watches reels every now and then. But it was a, of, a, of a new dad and a mom. And the mom is holding their infant as a new mother, weeping and crying. And the dad is recording saying, why are you crying, honey? And she's holding this cute little precious infant and says, I don't ever want her to grow up. I love her as she is. And the cynical side of me was like, yes, you're experiencing joy, but it is very fleeting because there will be a day when she learns the word no. She will say nasty things to you and she will choose to do everything other than what you have said to do, right? Even for parents, joy is fleeting. Yes, I mean, don't get me wrong. My children are such a joy, but there are days I want to kill them. <laughs> and, and that is what we see in this life here on earth. Joy is fleeting. But in the new heavens and the earth, the little momentary joys that you experience, can you imagine those moments? Now multiply it by infinity. You will experience joy unending. Unending. There will, it will not be fleeing, but you will experience happiness and contentment because not only of the joy we experience, but because of the joy that God will have upon Jerusalem that is us. There will be so much gladness and joy in the new heavens and the new earth. But we also see, secondly, there is life. But it's life without tragedy, starting in verses 19 or verse 20. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and a sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. Now, you're wondering, why is God talking about death in the new heavens? I thought there's no more death. Well, he's trying to connect with us as human beings and the realities of this world. So when he talks about death, he's talking about death when it comes to removing the sting of death. That is how he's mentioning death. And it's one where we will experience life without any tragedy or disappointment or brokenheartedness. This is a, this is a life to the full. That your days of living 100 years will just feel like a fraction of your life. When we experience death now, even for someone who, who was 80 years old, there's so much in me, even when I saw my grandparents pass away, to say, gosh, 80 years old was still too short of a life. And what God is picturing for us is a life to the full, without any tragedy. And that matters to you and me on this side of heaven, doesn't it? It will be a heaven 
here on earth, well, there will be no more, no more stillbirths, no more miscarriages, no one will be robbed of life prematurely, no more cancer, no more strokes, no more dementia, but we will have life to the full. We will be in our resurrected bodies enjoying the life God has created for us. It's life to the full. But as we also talk about life, the third thing we see about this new heaven and new earth is a fulfillment and a satisfaction in verses 21 through 23. We're going to build houses and inhabit them. We're going to work and not toil. We're going to plant vineyards and we're actually going to eat and reap the benefits fully to what that plant or that seed was supposed to give us. No more futility. No more vanity. Nothing will be in vain. We will experience complete and full satisfaction as life was intended before death and sin entered this world. I love how God says we will long enjoy the work of our hands. There will be work. Maybe some of us have thought of heaven or you've been taught by parents or churches that heaven is somewhere other. And we're disembodied creatures and we'll have our togas on and we'll play the harp. No offense if you love the harp, (laughs) right? And we're just going to worship God forever. And I said that to my mom as a little kid. I'm like, when I went to my first funeral as a little kid, I'm like, I don't want to die. She's like, oh, but you're going to worship God forever. I said, I want to be here. (laughs) Like, I don't want to worship God here up there forever. We will worship God in our work, in our building, in our planting, in loving neighbor. This is the satisfaction and joy that we will experience for eternity. It is this beautiful, satisfying material world where we create, touch, smell, cook, eat, build, and plant. But the fourth thing we see here is intimacy with God in verse 24. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. There is this intimacy with God that cannot be broken or shattered. No more hiding. Whether you are a Christian or other than Christian, we have these broken ideas of how our relationship with God should be. So much shame, so much guilt, so many fears, so many other things that we love more than God. But this will be an unadulterated intimate relationship with God, the creator of the universe himself. That when we, even before we utter a word from our lips, God's going to answer our prayers. He will grant us, as the psalmist says, he will grant us the desires of our hearts 100% of the time because our desires will be perfect. Our desires will be for the good of others. Our desires will be for the good and for the glory of God. Our desires will never be selfish or prideful or manipulative. But what we see is this beautiful, intimate relationship with God. We will see him finally for who he is. And there'll be no more shame. We won't cover our nakedness any longer, but it will be this pure, loving relationship with God. And lastly, the vision that God gives to us is of peace. 
Verse 25. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. There's going to be peace and shalom. No more war. No more global conflicts. No more broken relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ or your friends at school or your family members, parents, children. They'll be shalom. Those that you consider enemy like wolves and sheep will graze together and live in perfect harmony and fellowship. This is the vision God gives to a people who are experiencing death. Life to the full, intimacy with God, peace and shalom, joy and fulfillment and satisfaction. This is ours. And this is the hope we need to cling to, that we need to ask God to enlarge our vision of what is to come. So what does that mean then for us as we think about this vision that God gave to Isaiah to share with us? Three brief things as I close. First, we need to grieve. Yes, we need to hold and enlarge our vision of what is to come, of the new heavens and the new earth. But we also have to acknowledge that there is so much grief and sorrow, so much sadness and darkness. But we do it with hope because death is defeated. Christ accomplished it on the cross as we sang just a minute ago. Jesus has done it. And so while we experience death, We grieve with hope, knowing that death does not have the final word. And while we try to plan, right? We do all, all of us do the, does this. While we plan and control so that we could avoid the pitfalls of this world, we acknowledge we can't do so, right? Try to get the best job, try to put as much money into our 401k. We do everything for security so that death and brokenness will not touch us. we realize all of that is for not. We can't control it. We can't avoid it. We can't manipulate it. We can't do that because death is at, the, at our doorsteps. So while sin and pain and distress and weeping are unavoidable, we grieve with hope. But secondly, I think we're called to celebrate. We're called to celebrate. God is making all things new. Do you know what the first things Jesus said when he first began his ministry here on earth? The first things he uttered was, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. What is the kingdom of God? This is what the kingdom of God is, everything we just touched upon. The vision of the new heavens and the new earth. God, Jesus is going to bring and he began with his work, his perfect work in the healings. in his teachings, in his miracles, in his death and suffering on the cross, in his resurrection, he is making all things new. And I think for a lot of us, even as followers of Jesus, we have bought into what the world has told us. When we watch the news, when we read it, when we see it on Twitter, what's our first instinct? Just to say, oh man, this world stinks. Our world is horrible. There's no hope, Right? And while some of that is true, as we look at places like Ethiopia and China and our own city where there's so much violence, we look at politics and much to our dismay, we want to be cynical and we need to be able to look at the bad. 
and acknowledge it. I think what we don't do enough of is to celebrate and acknowledge the good that is happening in our world. Let me give you an example of what I mean that Jesus is bringing the kingdom of God here on earth. Derek Thompson in an Atlantic article wrote this just maybe a month or two ago. Since 1990, poverty and hunger have declined dramatically while lifespans have increased on every continent. According to the report, children are roughly 30% less likely to be malnourished or stunted. Rates of tuberculosis have similarly declined by about a third. Maternal deaths per live births have declined by 40%. The prevalence of neglected tropical diseases have declined by roughly 70%. And the share of the global population with access to toilets and safe plumbing has increased by 100%. Today's rates of famine deaths is about 99% lower than that of the late 1800s, despite the world's population being roughly five times larger. Overall, it is hard to argue that human progress is some sort of sales pitch from the pathologically optimistic. Rather, progress is simply a fact. And for us, with eyes of faith, we know why. Because the kingdom of God is at hand and Jesus is beginning and has already begun the work of restoring this world. And he's going to make all things new as we see in the new heavens and the new earth. And it will be beautiful, it will be perfect, and it will be satisfying to our souls. But the last thing we have to look at here is to participate. Not only grieve, not only celebrate to see the good that is happening, we're also called to participate. What I mean by that is first, I think we have to participate in this, that this vision of the new heavens and the new earth is an invitation for all to put their faith and belief in Jesus. To partake of the new heavens and the new earth is to rest upon the work and person of Jesus Christ, whose death and resurrection secures for every single one this beautiful world for us. To trust in and to be united to Jesus who is bringing this world to pass of this vision of the new heavens and the new earth. So that's the first thing, to put our faith in him. And when you do, you experience the blessings of the new heavens and the new earth. To not is to experience the curse of what everything opposite of what we just saw in the vision. But secondly, how do we participate? We are called and invited to partake in the renewal and the restoration of this world. If this is the goal, of what is to promise for us, then we are invited to partake in the restoration of it. This is what N.T. Wright said in his book, Surprised by Hope. He said, what you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. How? By painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself, will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable. Rather, they are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. That's the invitation for us to care for this world, to love neighbor as ourselves, to die to our sin, 
to put off malice and greed and to put on righteousness. These are the ways in which we are called to participate and partake in the renewal of all things. As I close, the Apostles' Creed, when I first began this series in September, I began by reminding us, yes, the Apostles' Creed is this sort of uh, a summary of statements that we're called to believe in God and Jesus and the Spirit and outworkings of the Spirit and the church and forgiveness of sin and the everlasting life. But remember what I said was this is also a story that was given to us to confess together. This is a story that we're called to retell the Apostles' Creed because it's a story in the way that God interacts with his people. It tells us about a future. The creed story begins with God's creation, right? And ends with eternity. The plot, it includes God becoming human. The crisis is Jesus' suffering and his death. The resolution is in his resurrection, his ascension, and the coming of the Holy Spirit to equip the church to live faithfully until the resurrection of the dead. And we need to keep retelling this story over and over because we tend to forget. We tend to forget. And this Apostles' Creed, yes, it's a summary of statements, but it's also a beautiful story we're called to tell over and over again. One of the most beautiful stories that I've read in my time is the Chronicles of Narnia. And I love the ending to the Chronicles of Narnia because this is what C.S. Lewis ends by reminding the reader. This is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world had only been the cover and the title page of the real story. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. This is the vision that God has given to us, where every single chapter will be better than the one before. Hold on to this vision. And remember that as we've gone through this Apostles' Creed, it is this story that has an end, but it is only the beginning. So Restoration, I'm going to ask you, church, what is it that you believe? Let's confess our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful vision that you have given to us. That in the midst of death that we taste and see, Lord, you have given us a beautiful vision of what is to come. So open up our eyes, enlarge in this vision so that we might have hope even in the darkest of moments. Help us to endure, help us to plant, help us to build, to love, to die to sin. 
so that, Lord, we might be able to have the hope that you have offered us now. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.